All right. This is our ninth class, and uh, we're covering chapter 12 tonight. It's another night with just one chapter, so you can breathe easy. Yep. Uh, we're covering chapter 12. If you remember last week, uh, we covered chapter 11, which was kind of talking about all the faux loves or the fake kind of loves that we settle for, just the things that make me feel good or, uh, you know, emotional attachment or physical attraction. We talked about a variety of things last week, all sort of meant to help us understand that we don't, in our marriages, sometimes we settle for things that are less than uh, real true love. And so this week, then the goal is to consider what true love is and what true love does. Kind of those two sides of it. What is love? And then in, in many ways, love is an action. So what does love lead to? What, what does that look like in a marriage? This is all part of uh, commitment number four. We will commit to build a relationship of love. And so we'll be digging into that tonight. So he begins in the chapter with that question, what in the world is love anyway? What is love? And that's a great place to start. And uh, to do so, we'll open to 1 John, the book of 1 John chapter 4. We referenced this briefly last week. 1 John chapter 4. And if you notice... Uh, verses 7 through 12. I'll just read those aloud. You can follow along. 1 John 4, 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love has been perfected in us. So the basic idea is that we learn uh, love from God. That's where we see love pictured. He is love, and we can't really know and understand true love until we know God and His love. So he, he defines it, right? There's all sorts of human and cultural ways of thinking about love and defining love, but the bottom line is that God defines what love is. He has also given us a picture of love. So not only is God love himself and he defines what love is, but he's given us a picture of love. And uh, we looked at that um, in the previous chapter last week, 1 John 3, 16. So just glance over. It's probably close to where you're already open in your Bibles. John says this, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. <laughs> So this is this picture of love. This is what helps us to understand love, that Jesus laid down his life for us. And then we're actually called to live out that same kind of love, to, to lay down our lives for one another. So true love is what he calls in the book, cruciform love. And you can kind of figure out what he means by that word. Cruce is a phrase or a, a, a root word referring to the cross. 
form, you understand that uh, suffix. It means that we're, we're in the shape of the cross of Christ. So our love is to look like what Christ did on the cross. Cruciform, there's that idea. And so the rest of that phrase, love shaped by the cross of Christ. So we know what, we know what love is from God because he is love and he's told us in his word. But then we have this beautiful picture of love on the cross itself, Christ laying down his life for us. We're going to come back to that frequently tonight because it's probably the simplest way we can put love in the marriage relationship. That I am to love my spouse the way Christ has loved me. Okay? And so we keep looking back to that picture of the cross. How did Jesus treat me at the cross? And that gives me the definition, the picture, the the idea of how I then need to love my spouse. And it's just a, a beautiful uh, reminder of what true love is. It's also cool because it gives us the motivation for love as well. Not only does it show me what love looks like, but it reminds me why I'm supposed to love my spouse. Because Jesus died for me and he wants me to show his kind of love to my spouse. The command comes directly from the one who died on the cross for my sins. So it's both the picture of love and the motivation to love, which is really cool. So I just encourage you in your own marriage relationship, keep looking back to the cross because you find both the instructions, (laughs) the picture of what love looks like, as well as the motivation. This one who died for me wants me to show that same kind of love to this person who is my special gift from God. Obviously, Carrie's back there. I keep pointing to her up here. I don't know why. But anyway, imagine her standing here next to me. I should have you come up and just stand here. Okay, no, all right, I won't do that. (laughs) Speaking of love, uh, all right, you get the idea. So he tries to define this cruciform love um, in the chapter. I actually gave you the definition last week. I'm not going to say it out loud because it's the next few blanks, and I want you to have to pay attention for those blanks. So... Uh, But what he does in the first part of the chapter is he breaks down the definition kind of phrase by phrase to think through what it all means. So his definition, love is, first of all, willing. And in that section, he talks about love is not something that's that's forced, that's not not a duty, right? Uh, Love is willing. It wants to. Uh, It wants to serve. It wants to give. It wants to sacrifice. Now, there are times when in the ebb and flow of life, uh, love remains committed even though it doesn't want to, right? So that happens. There'll be seasons like that. I'm not not talking about those times. Those are the seasons when we look back to the cross and remember, wait, why do I want to love this person? Not because they deserve it, but because Jesus died for me. I want to live for him, and he wants me to love this person. So, We can get ourselves back to that place where we're willing again. Um, But it's willing. True love is willing. Just like Christ willingly laid down his life for us. Number two, it's willing self-sacrifice. Again, this is that lay down your life sense um, where Jesus sacrificed himself for our good. Uh, We tend to like to love people in, in ways that we like. Uh, ways that are good for us. Um, and uh, 
don't work hard enough to love in terms of either what's pleasing to God or what's good for this person. And that often involves self-sacrifice. For the good of another. So we're not, I'm not just sacrificing, uh, you know, just to get something done that I want to do or whatever. This is very clear terms here. For the good of another. I like the way Romans 12 uh, puts it. Uh, love clings to what is good and abhors what is evil. And so uh, true love is going to work for the good of the other person and uh, guard and protect them from what is evil. It is willing sacrifice, willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not require reciprocation. Does not require reciprocation. Um, now, Granted, it's sure easier to love somebody when they're loving you back, right? So I'm not denying that, but that's not, that's not how love works. Christ's love, think about this carefully, Christ's love was not based on our ability to reciprocate, right? Romans 5.8 says it very succinctly for us. God showed His love for us while we were yet sinners, Right? So we were his enemies. We were rebels. There was no reciprocation. And then he laid his life down for us and showed us his love. And so the same thing's true in our marriages. Uh, what a great time to show Christ-like love when our spouse is not reciprocating. That's, it's also really hard to do it then. But there are also few times in marriage where you get the chance to really show what Jesus' love is like when you're getting nothing in return. And what a chance to put on display the glorious love of Christ. Now again, it's not always pleasant. It's not easy. It's not what we want in a marriage relationship. We want it to be both ways, obviously. Um, but if you're in a time, if you're in a season when you're not getting that love back from your spouse, delight in the opportunity to, to more clearly than ever put Jesus' love on display because you get to give one directional love, just like he gave to you. Uh, yeah, pretty cool. Finally, it's not based on the fact that the person being loved is deserving. And this goes kind of hand in hand with the previous idea. Um, when God showed his love to us, we did not deserve it, right? It's, it's, it's very clear. Um, and sometimes in a marriage, we withhold love. We withhold kindness, we withhold self-sacrifice uh, because they haven't earned it. They don't deserve it, right? And uh, that's, a, that's a strong temptation. We have to watch out for that. So he asks the question, following that definition, how do we develop that kind of love? And it's more than just duty. It's more than just obedience. I, I thought he shared a, a funny illustration on page 212, so I'll read this to you. This is him talking here. Imagine me plopping down on the couch next to my wife with a stern, unexcited, sadly flat and monotone voice saying to her, Luella, I have come to the understanding that it is my responsibility to love you. So I am going to do my duty. I am going to love you because that is what I'm supposed to do. Do you think Luella would throw her arms around me and say, thank you, thank you for loving me so? No, she would be heartbroken because she would instinctively know that what I have expressed is not love, right? It's more than just duty. Now, there are times that commitment keeps us 
doing things that are loving, even when our heart is off and our feelings are all over the place and out of whack. I, I understand that. I acknowledge that. So how do we then develop the kind of love that reflects what Christ is like? Number one, love is born out of remembering and celebrating Jesus' love for us. So hopefully your Bible's still open to 1 John 4. Notice now verse 19. We love him because he first loved us. And the word him is in some manuscripts, it's not in others. So this verse could even simply read, we love because he first loved us. And we certainly get the idea as we study the rest of 1 John 4, that our love for others is to flow out of the kind of love that God has given to us, uh, that we would love others the way that he's loved us. And so love really grows out of remembering and celebrating what Christ has done for us. There you go. Sorry, I didn't get it up there. You guys got to tell me this stuff when it's not up there. We should have like a secret language here or something. You give me like an owl hoot or something. And I know. Right? Lots of owls in here. All right, moving on. First John. 419, we love because he first loved us. So you want to grow in your love for your spouse, meditate on Christ's love for you, right? That's where love for spouse comes from, not them deserving it, not them earning it, not them loving me back, right? Love for my spouse comes from meditating on the way Christ has loved me and that he specifically wants me to love this person, right? That's how we grow in love. It's interesting because the love you have for your spouse actually reveals the quality of love you have for God. Notice verse 20. Again, 1 John 4, verse 20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen... How can he love God whom he has not seen? So if I'm not loving my spouse, which is close to me, like a brother, not a brother, but like a brother, the closest neighbor I have, right? If I'm not loving my spouse, I'm doing the opposite, I'm, I'm hating this person in ways, then how can I say that I love God, right? This also implies that the way that I grow to love my spouse better is to grow in my love for God. And so he explains that we fix our marriages vertically before we fix them horizontally. To love my spouse, I actually don't need my spouse to change. I don't need her to fix this and fix that. Then she'd be easier to love. And that's, that's where we go so many times. We think that, well, this would be a loving relationship if she would shape up. Then it would be easy for me to, then I could love her, but you, let me tell you what she's like and you'll understand why I don't love her, right? This is what we do in our heads. We justify. That has nothing to do with what true love is. True love comes from God and because he's loved me and I love him, I choose to love this person and choose to even delight in loving this person because that's how Jesus has loved me. So we want to grow in our love this direction. We grow in our love for God. When I fail to love God as I should, I insert myself into his position, desiring to be sovereign over my little kingdom, 
and, uh, and demanding that those around me do my bidding. If I'm not loving God as my king, I will set up my own kingdom and live for myself. So he raises some important questions about what love is and that it's defined by God's love for us. So let's think now specifically of how we live this love out. Marital love in action. Now, beginning around page 214 or so, he actually spends the rest of the chapter listing 22 specific descriptions of what love might look like in a relationship. They're each, they each start a paragraph in italics. They're not numbered. You could go through and number them if you want. Uh, I have numbered them for you in your, for you in your notes tonight. Um, those are all 22 of those statements, specific demonstrations of love. So we're going to do, just because I know you love quizzes and you love rating yourself, isn't that the, just the funnest thing in the world to do? I know, I've gotten so much positive feedback about that, I decided we should do it again tonight. <laughs> uh, you don't have to share these answers with anybody, they're just to help you think. So we're gonna, I'm going to read down through these, we're like, you know, this is like an interactive quiz basically. Um, but here's how the scale works tonight, okay? It's on a scale of 0 to 10, and you're thinking through um, the last maybe 10 opportunities you've had to show love like this. And so did you show the kind of love described 10 out of 10 times you had that opportunity? Or all the way down to the other end of the scale, 0 out of 10 times. Now, obviously... Nobody in the room is going to actually be able to think of, you know, 10 specific examples. This came up. It's like, okay, well, I did it this time. Okay, so I got three out of 10. Okay, so just, you know, you're, obviously you're just kind of rating yourself, but that's generally how the scale goes. So his first one there, number one, love is being willing to have your life complicated by the needs and struggles of your husband or wife without impatience or anger. Now, if you're a parent, you interact with this one quite frequently, right? A child has a need that comes up, and it's typically not comfortable or easy or part of your plan of the day to, you know, help with that scenario that came up, right? You weren't planning on them spilling the milk all over the floor. You weren't planning on them making this mess in such and such a place, right? But this also happens in our marriage relationship, where the needs of my spouse come up, am I ready to sacrifice? So, you know, we're rarely planning on our spouse being grumpy, right? And having to deal with that and be patient with that. We're rarely planning on our spouse wanting to, you know, share the experience they had while they were out shopping and the difficulty and I, I need to talk to you about this. And you know, well, I didn't have this 15 minutes scheduled in my day, right? And so it's uncomfortable to sacrifice for the good of the other. How do we do that? Do we do that without impatience or anger? He says this, find greater joy in meeting the need of another than in getting your own way. So how'd you do there? Number two, love is actively, oh, there we go. That's, I'll just leave that up there. Number two, love is actively fighting the temptation. Nobody, nobody hooted at me. I mean, seriously, people. <laughs> love is actively fighting the temptation to be critical and judgmental towards your spouse while looking for ways to encourage and praise. 
It's easy to be critical and judgmental, to notice the problems. How often are we encouraging and praising? He says this, Critical responses to others are almost always rooted in self-righteousness. That quote's on page 214. That's just a great life tip, by the way, not just for marriages. But if you find yourself really frustrated by someone or really critical of someone, uh, it's a good sign there's some self-righteousness in your own heart, uh, that you see yourself as better than them, that somehow you have the right to criticize and judge them. That's a really good statement for human relationships in general. Critical responses towards others are almost always rooted in self-righteousness. Number three, love is the daily commitment to resist the needless moments of conflict that come from pointing out and responding to minor offenses. Or put positively, how are you doing at letting love cover a multitude of sins? Number four, love is being lovingly honest and humbly approachable in times of misunderstanding being more committed to unity and love than you are to winning, accusing, or being right. Both honest, carefully honest, as well as humbly approachable. Number five, love is a daily commitment to admit your sin, weakness, and failure, and to resist the temptation to offer an excuse or shift the blame. Here's another way to ask this one. When was the last time you said the words, I was wrong, you were right, without any qualifications? But, but you have to understand, it, it was just, right. we just like to throw all that in there. I was wrong, you were right. Or, even better, that was sin. Would you forgive me? I sinned against you. Would you forgive me? Without qualifications. It's loving to speak that way, to speak honestly, to admit our sin without excuse. Number six, love means being willing when confronted by your spouse to examine your hearts rather than rising to your defense or shifting the focus. We've talked many times about our inner defense lawyer, right? That uh, uh, just is naturally there and ready to defend ourselves. Number seven, love is a daily commitment to grow in love so that the love you offer to your husband or wife is increasingly selfless, mature, and patient. Am I taking steps of progress in the way that I love my spouse? Or have I just settled into uh, the easy ways for me to show love to her? Am I changing? Am I growing in the way I love her? Number eight, love is being unwilling to do what is wrong when you've been wronged, but to look for concrete and specific ways to overcome evil with good. So this one's especially hard. Your spouse has done something wrong against you. Man, the temptation is strong right then to punish them. And it's easy to self-justify. Well, they, they did wrong. They deserve it. I'm going to make sure they feel these consequences. But love overcomes evil with good. Vengeance is the Lord's, 
not mine. And so how am I helping my spouse, even if she's done something wrong against me? How am I overcoming that evil with good? Number nine, love is being a good student of your spouse, looking for his or her physical, emotional, and spiritual needs so that in some way you can remove the burden, support him or her as, she, as he or she carries it, and encourage them along the way. Am I just looking out for myself or am I bearing her burdens as well? Number 10, love means being willing to invest the time necessary to discuss, examine, and understand the problems that you face as a couple, staying on task until the problem is removed or you have agreed upon a strategy of response. A lot of times we default to just kind of ignore the problem until it disappears, hopefully, which they really don't disappear, right? Just get covered up with something until they resurface. Uh, so taking the time, taking the effort, taking the labor to work through problems together. Number 11, love is always being willing to ask for forgiveness and always being committed to grant forgiveness when it is required. How do you do at asking for forgiveness and granting forgiveness? Number 12, love is recognizing the high value of trust in a marriage and being faithful to your promises and true to your word. Of course, we dug into that one a couple weeks ago, the lesson about being trustworthy and being trusting in your marriage relationship. Uh, but here, another important reminder of that. It is loving to be trustworthy. 13, love is speaking kindly and gently, even in moments of disagreement, refusing to attack your spouse's character or assault his or her intelligence. It's amazing how often uh, a husband or a wife, when they disagree with their spouse, uh, often the first conclusion they make is that their spouse is just insane, right? They're just nuts. Uh, they, I, I, don't, I don't get it. There's, I don't, you know, they make these crazy assumptions about their spouse and they don't take the time to pause and think, well, well okay, let's, let's maybe make the assumption that they're not insane and see if we can understand where they're coming from. Really helpful. Uh, 14, love is being willing, excuse me, unwilling to flatter, lie, manipulate, or deceive in any way in order to co-opt your spouse into giving you what you want or doing something your way. So love is free of manipulation. It's just there to serve, to serve and to give. Love is being unwilling to ask your spouse to be the source of your identity, meaning, and purpose or inner sense of well-being while refusing to be the source of his or hers. This comes back to what he was talking about. To love our spouse well, we lean on God's love for us, right? So it's not about what I'm getting from my spouse. I don't need my spouse's love. I know that sounds crazy but I don't. I don't need my spouse to give me anything. God's placed me here with all I need in Christ to love my spouse the way he wants me to love my spouse. I don't need her to give anything back. Now, I'm thankful that by God's grace, I have a lovely wife and there's joy and friendship and so many things that I do get back, right? But those are not requirements. Those are not requirements. Um, I have all I need in Christ, 
and give that love. Um, I'm not her savior. She's not my savior. Uh, we both look to Christ and our satisfaction in him. Number 16, love is the willingness to have less free time, less sleep, and a busier schedule in order to be faithful to what God has called you to be and to do as a husband or wife. You no longer completely control your own timetable or your schedule. 17, love is a commitment to say no to selfish instincts and to do everything that is within your ability to promote real unity, functional understanding, and active love in your marriage. Love says no to self. I mean, that's basically what self-sacrifice giving to another is. It's saying no to me and yes to God, which means good for this person. And so learning to die to self is, is so important in, in showing love. 18, love is staying faithful to your commitment to treat your spouse with appreciation, respect, and grace, even in moments when he or she doesn't seem to deserve it or is unwilling to reciprocate. In our marriages, we tend to say things to our spouse that we would never say to a stranger, right? We, we insult and we degrade and we use a certain tone and we sling things at each other that we wouldn't do if we were talking to, you know, somebody we were meeting for the first time and really wanted to make that good impression, right? And yet, we just let these things fly uh, with our spouse. Number 19, love is the willingness to make regular and costly sacrifices for the sake of your marriage without asking anything in return or using your sacrifices to place your spouse in your debt. That last part is key, isn't it? Uh, don't you know what I've been doing for you? Right? You, you ought to be shaping up and giving me, give me something back here. Come on, keep up. 20, love is being unwilling to make any personal decision or choice that would harm your marriage, hurt your husband or wife, or weaken the bond of trust between you. Oops, I don't think there's a blank on that one. Sorry, I left that out. Twenty-one, love is refusing to be self-focused or demanding, but instead looking for specific ways to serve, support, and encourage even when you're busy or tired. Now he points out, I want to pause on this one for a second, the second to last one, you guys are you're almost there. He points out a really important truth in this one uh, about our needs, okay? So he says that a lot of times in a marriage, um, something that we like or enjoy over time develops into what we refer to as a need, and then it becomes something that we expect from our spouse. We feel entitled to get this thing from our spouse. He says it this way. Here's how it works. If I'm convinced that something is a need and you say that you love me, it seems right to expect that you will meet this need. It seems right then to watch to see if you are committed to meeting that need and to be demanding with you if you haven't met that need, because after all, it is a need. Calling something a need that is not actually a need is one of the ways we tend to excuse self-focus and the demands that accompany it. One of the great principles of the New Testament in our relationship with God 
is that we actually don't define our own needs. There's a sovereign God who knows our needs better than we do. God defines our needs. You want to know what you need? Look at what you have. God gives us what we need. So the principle comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 32. And here's one of the key truths he mentions under point 21 here. God defines our needs and meets them perfectly. You're familiar with Matthew 6. Why do you worry about such and such? Does not God not clothe the lilies of the field? Does he not care for the sparrows? And, you know, I'm just paraphrasing, but you get the idea. Don't worry about these things. Why? Your father knows your needs and he will meet them. It's a promise, right? So God has promised to meet my needs. That means if there's something in my life that I don't have and I'm not able to get it without sinning, then I don't need it. And so we, we so often just develop our own sense of what we need and we're grasping for things and we start to feel entitled and demand that our spouse give us these things. And the bottom line is God will provide my needs perfectly. Another verse that I'd encourage you to study sometime is James 1.17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So everything good in your life comes from the Father. He's the source. And there is no variation or shadow of turning. I mean, he, ne he never fails. He, he never forgets. It's not like, oh, oh, yeah, 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 I forgot to water the plants. I, I forgot to give Lance what he needed. No, no, no. He's a perfect giver. So what that means is, with my Father, I I'm good. I know always, at any given moment, I have everything I need. And sometimes I need trials, and he gives those to me. And the way that frees us in the marriage relationship is I can stop demanding things from my spouse. Now, it's good and right for me to encourage her to be obedient to her father. Right? That's good. I can do that. But not as demands. You got to shape up and better be, be a better spouse to me. I need this. No, 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 no. I have everything I need from God. I can encourage her to love her Savior and to live for Him, right? So this is a huge, huge principle that really changes the way our marriage interactions work. We are fully provided for in Christ and so are completely free to just love. <laughs> it's cool. It's super cool. Secondly, the gospel is proof of this. So if you're doubting God's provision in your life, go back to Romans 8.32. If God did not spare His own Son, how will He not with Him also freely give us all things? Now, Paul's wording there is a bit complicated, but if you dig into it, you'll see the point that he's making is, if God gave up His Son while we were God's enemies to provide for our good, then wouldn't He just give us the easy things and everything we would ever need for our good? And the logic is, well, yeah, of course, of course. If he's willing to give his son for our good, and I can trust him with my next meal, with whatever I'm facing, whatever I'm going through, right? The gospel reminds us that God is trustworthy. So that's a big one and uh, helpful to remember in your relationship. 
I wanted to camp on those a little bit. Sorry for that. But Whoop. Last one is number 22. Love is daily admitting to yourself, your spouse, and to God that you are not able to love this way without God's protecting, providing, forgiving, rescuing, and delivering grace. So we are fully dependent upon God's grace in the marriage. Now, as you look through a list like that, and this is just one guy's examples of ways to show love in the home, right? So this is just Paul Tripp. But it is convicting. I mean, we look at a list like that, and maybe some of you had perfect tens all the way through. That's really great. Um, I didn't, right? So I fall far short uh, from Paul's list. And we're not even, uh, that doesn't even come close to Christ's love, right? So that's the comparison, not even Paul's list. So we're comparing ourselves to Christ here and the way that he's loved me. And so we ought to be at a point where it's like, oh my goodness, I have so far to go to be humbled by how we need to grow in loving our spouse. That's the right place to be, to be humbled by Jesus' love for me and motivated to try to love the way he loves as I love my spouse. So the last little activity there, there's a a great quotation on, uh, I think it's the last two pages of the chapter, 226 and 227. Uh, And in your notes, I try to try to explain clearly where the, where the quotation starts and where it ends. Good luck figuring that out. But anyway, um, what I'd encourage you to do is read through that. And then there are four thought questions. If you're uh, here with your spouse tonight, the two of you could maybe discuss those. Um, or if you want to jump in with somebody else, uh, we only have five minutes left, so you may not have time to get all those. If you don't get to them, uh, do them some time this week with your spouse. Uh, but excellent two paragraphs there, quotation, and then some, some good thought questions to kind of get you thinking what love could look like uh, in, your, in your marriage and in your home. Okay, let me close in prayer, and then you can uh, do as much of that as you have time to do tonight with the five minutes that are left. Father, we thank you for your love for us. And I just pray for each of us here in the room. I pray for my own heart and my own life. Um, open my eyes. Uh, in a greater way to see and understand the love of Christ, the love that surpasses knowledge. I pray that each of us here would would begin to comprehend the length and width and breadth and height to know the love of Christ. Oh, floor us and amaze us with, with your love and what you've done for us through Christ in the gospel. And Father, as we meditate on that, uh, strengthen us to love our spouses with that same kind of love. Uh, Teach us to love like Jesus loves. Help us to depend on you and lean on you as we seek to do that. We thank you and we love you, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You're dismissed or discussed or whatever you want to do. You're free.